If you'll open up in your Bibles to Revelations chapter 2, or you can just look up on the screen, whichever you prefer. We've been looking at prophecy, and we saw that in some of the things that come with prophecy, some of the things that we have, have learned about it, is that prophecy can contain a couple of things. First off, as we see in the, here in the book of Revelation, every single prophetic word that he gives to the churches always starts out with, I know your works. Which means prophecy can contain what you know. Now that was important because we, we talked to you about how many times we've disqualified ourselves because we feel like God has given us a word of prophecy, but I already know that about them. But see, that doesn't disqualify you because it didn't disqualify Jesus. He still gave the word of prophecy even though he knew. In fact, the word of prophecy was based on what he knew. So if you see somebody who's in need, you can look at them and say, boy, they look like they're sad. And the Spirit of God comes up on the inside, gives you a word of prophecy for them. But Father, I can see that they're sad. Or I know the situation that's in their life. It doesn't matter. You can give a prophecy off of what you know. Because Jesus did. So we know it can contain what I know. It can contain what I've learned. We've seen in these prophecies that there are things that it contains that are simply in the Word of God and you could have learned them. And so you can give in a word of prophecy the things that you already know and the things that, uh, that you've learned. And that can still be prophecy. That can still be inspired utterance by God given to you for those particular people. The third thing we saw is it can also contain what is given to you. God may speak something specific to say to them. And that's those specific words will minister to them. And if he gives you specific words to say, make sure you just say them that way. Now, there's a couple of different directions I was going to go here this morning, but here's the, here's the direction we are going in. And that we will, we will take up. If you were up on Facebook this morning, I did put this little review up there for you, but prophecy has been used in the Word of God to instruct believers about what is going on around them. How God views their responses and what they could do to improve. Prophecy has been used in the Word of God to instruct believers. Prophecy can instruct. It can instruct us as to what to do. We're, we're sticking with the simple gift of prophecy. We're trying to stay out of the areas because most of the things in the Word of God deal with the Word of knowledge or the Word of wisdom involved in prophetic utterance. But we're trying to look at the simple gift of prophecy because this is something we are supposed to be walking in. Paul says, I desire that half of you operate in the gift of prophecy. Oh, it wasn't half? All of you. And if all of us are supposed to operate in it, and very few of us are, something's not right. Either we're not understanding what prophecy is, and I am operating it, or I'm afraid of it, then I'm not stepping out. And we need to be not so afraid of it. We need to move out of these things. So, is prophecy for instruction something that we can pursue in the simple gift of prophecy? What's the difference between being instructed on what we should do and being led by prophecy? We're going to take a look at these questions here. But let's get into the scripture. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have... Per- you have persevered and have patience 
and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Now again, the word there, no, is the word oida. It means he has a first-hand knowledge. And we saw from the from the instructions here that he was down walking amidst, walking amongst the churches. He was there. He said, I know all the things that you do. Now when he says here, I know your works, your labor, your patience, they all carry the definite article, which means I'm talking about your labor, your labor as a church, your labor as the people in this church, the people in the church of Ephesus. I know your particular label, labor. I know your patience. I know what you have had to endure. I know the works that you have done in your community, in your church. I know the things that you have done. We're not talking about the works all around the, the world. We're talking about what's going on there in Ephesus. And that's why the Greek puts the article there before each one. I know your works. I know your labor. I know your patience. Understand God is familiar with your works. He is familiar with your patience. He knows what you have had to endure. He has seen it. He has watched it. He is not ignorant. The enemy is always trying to come up and tell you, God doesn't care. If God cared, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be going through this. If God cared, you wouldn't have gone through what you had gone through. He's trying to always tell you in this, know this, He knows. He knows the patience that you've had. This word here for labor, it means an intense labor. You're united with trouble and toil. It's an intense labor, but it is united with toil. It's united with trouble. It means not only are you working hard at it, but there is some turmoil around it. How many have ever had a job, you had to work hard, and you were getting grief? <laughs> grief is coming in, and you're working hard. I mean, this is, this is just tough. You know, sometimes you know, we have a couple of people who, who who were nurses, and I can't think of any other occupation where you get more grief. You get grief from the patients, you get grief from the doctors, you get grief from the hospital, and sometimes it just doesn't seem to be worth it. And while you're working, boy, you're working hard. And not all, all the time do people appreciate what's going on. So that, get that kind of a picture here. When he's talking about labor, he says, I know you're not only working hard, but as you are working hard, as you are going about doing this, there is turmoil, there is toil, there is trouble that's coming down upon you. He's saying, I see this. I see what's going on. This is a church that believed in working hard. And that work was under pressure. Just because they came under pressure, it didn't mean they quit. They didn't stop working hard. They kept working hard. They kept going at it. That word patience, you probably have heard this word come up before. Hupomene. It is a cheerful or hopeful endurance. It's consistent. It's constancy. It's enduring. It's patient. You continue, 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 continue. You're always cheerful in it. You're always looking ahead. Always hopeful. Always seeing what is ahead. This, this particular type, it is not just let me, let me read it here for you again. I know your works, your labor, your patience. And then you, you cannot bear those who are evil. I know your patience. I know that you have endured. But while you are enduring, you always keep ahead of you. This is what's there. This is why we toil. This is why we work. This is what I am doing this for. 
When the enemy comes along and he says, it's not worth it. You say, it is too. I am keeping my eye on the prize that God has set as ahead for me. And he says, I've seen that. I have seen that you have not been discouraged in what you're doing. You continue on with that patience. How many like to hear that from God? You being, you be encouraged by that? So this is an encouraging word so far for them. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. Now, I looked up this word bear. What this word bear means is to carry as in carrying a burden. They will not pick up those that are evil and make life easy for them or help them out in any way. They will not bear with those that are evil. Once they have determined that they are evil, you are on your own. We are not helping you accomplish that. (laughs) That's all they got to see. You are, you are not pure in your motives. You're not pure in the things you're doing for God. And once we see that, you are on your own. We're not here to try and help you out. We're not here to try and make your life easier. Because we cannot bear that which is evil. Now that takes some boldness to be able to do that. And that's what he says about them here. You cannot bear those that are evil. You're not there to help them out. You're not there to make their their life any any better. And there were some evil people in the church. And this is what he's speaking about. Now, let's go to verse 3. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. You have persevered. What this basically comes to mean is that you were under a heavy labor, a heavy burden, and you refuse to be moved from under it. You are under labor. You're under a heavy burden. It seems anyway. There's a whole lot of stuff that's coming down upon you. But you refuse to be moved out from under this. I'm not going anywhere. You have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. It's one thing to labor for the sake of Jesus Christ, for his church. It's another to become weary in it. The way that you become weary is when you start carrying stuff you're not supposed to be carrying. When you start picking up more of a burden than you're supposed to. When you start carrying around that which is evil. I don't really like this, but I guess I have to help them out. No, drop them. Drop them. There's people that are evil, get themselves in all kinds of a mess, and then come to you to try and get you to bail them out. And then you start taking on that burden. Knock it off. This church could not bear with those that are evil. Wait a minute. No, you're not seeking after God. In fact, you're actually coming against the things of God. You think I'm going to help you out with this? Go seek the people in the world. Let them help you. Can't bear with those that are evil. Now, it doesn't mean you just determine everybody's evil. We're talking down in their heart level. It's not that they're not doing everything right. It's that down in their heart, there's evil that is there. There is, there is stuff that's just not, not going on right. And you can tell that. There's a lot of people who have actions that are not quite right yet. That's all right. We love one. We help them out. We get on there. But when you find out that on the inside, their, their heart is not right. And he's going to explain that here in just a little bit. You have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Don't think that when you have labored for the, the name of God that it's ever overlooked by God. You may not see something right off the bat. That doesn't mean that God has not seen it. 
And don't let the devil tell you anything else. Because God is not going to tell you that he's forsaken anything that you've done. That's not going to be God. That's going to be the enemy. You stay in there. You keep doing what God has shown you to do. And do not become weary. Now he goes on here. Let me go back to verse 2. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. And found them liars. Now one, one more note here. When it says you cannot bear, it actually comes from the word dunamai. How many of y'all know what the word dunamai means? We get a, a lot of word power. And then what it does is just puts a negative in front of it. Just puts a negative uh, word be- before it so that it turns dunamai into something negative. You cannot. You don't have the ability, is what he is saying with that. You cannot bear those who are evil. But I know your works, your labor, your patience, and you cannot bear those who are evil and have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. Now this is written to Ephesus. This is a church we know that Paul visited. In fact, Paul spent more time here, it seems, from what we know, than any of the other churches. He loved Ephesus. He spent a lot of time there. He put a lot into this church. And he gave them an example of what an apostle is. It would seem that either he sent people out and they started these other churches that are around Ephesus, or maybe he took some some trips from Ephesus and went out there as well. We know that Paul was here in this city. We know that he instructed them. We know that this city had a great love for Paul. Paul always represented himself as an apostle. He always came into a place, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. He would say, I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. He would say, I'm an apostle for the message of grace. He would say all kinds of things that he would, that he was, but he always identified himself as an apostle. And this, so they knew what an apostle was. Now, once Paul got the church going, and things were going good, and this was the most influential church at this time, and I've been told that if you were to put this church somewhere in Southern California, its influence was so great it would be felt up in the state of Washington. That's without the internet. That's without all the uh, modern things that we have, no TV, no radio. That's how far their influence went. It was a very influential church. It was a very strong church. It was a very powerful church. In fact, if you will go over to the, to the Ephesus, you will find the ruins of the church of the Virgin Mary. Do you know why that in Ephesus there is a church of the Virgin Mary? Now, if you go there, it's just ruins. It was built as a church of the Virgin Mary, and then it, it fell into ruins, and you can go there and you can visit that. If you ever wonder why is there a church of the Virgin Mary in Ephesus, it is simply goes all the way back to the cross. You remember what happened at the cross? Jesus looked at John. And he said, behold your mother. And he put his mom in the charge of John. Where did John operate out of? He operated out of Ephesus. So when he went to Ephesus, so did Mary. And so they made a church for her, or in her memory, uh, right there in, in Ephesus. Now Ephesus also had some temples and things like that, but they also had this particular church. If you go up online and you do a search for the Church of the Virgin Mary in Ephesus. You can see some of the ruins for it. Some of them look pretty, uh, pretty spectacular, pretty neat. There's a decent amount of it that is still that, uh, that is left. But John had, of course, come from there, and John was very influential. 
And this is where he retired and where he, uh, where he eventually died. But he said, you have tested those who say they are apostles. So people came into Ephesus and they said, I am an apostle, just like Paul. I'm sure that they identified themselves as an apostle, just like Paul, because he was the, he was the one to compare yourself to. He was probably one of the greatest apostles and most well-known apostles of that day. And so when he came on in, when they came on in and they said, I'm just like Paul, and uh, they just, they didn't apparently just believe him. Just because somebody identifies themselves as an apostle, as a pastor, as a prophet, uh, so forth, doesn't mean that you believe that they're right. They need to be proven. There's a whole mess of people out there who just want to become, uh, just put some kind of a ministry credential after their name. I'm apostle so-and-so. Why? Because they said they were. I'm pastor so-and-so. Why? Because they said they were. I'm prophet so-and-so. Because they said they were. I'm evangelist so-and-so. Just because they said so. But they said, no, you check it out. And you have tested those who say they are apostles. That word there, you have tested. In some translations, it's tried. You know, another way that you could, you could do this. It means to try or test for the purpose of ascertaining a person's quality, what they think, or how they will behave. I wrote that in your outline, so I really don't have to repeat it. I want you to get this. You are there to test this person. I want to find out how this person thinks. I want to know what, what they think. I want to see what kind of a quality they're made of. Now, how do you do that? How do you find out what a person is made of? One of the greatest ways you can do it, take them out to dinner. See how they treat the wait staff. That'll tell you some things about them. See how they treat them. Go over to their home. Watch how they speak to their children. Watch how they, how they, uh, what kind of conversations they have at the dinner table. What kind of things interest them? I mean, if they get in there and they start telling you off-color jokes, that kind of tells you some things, right? Just get them talking. That's all you got to do. Just get them talking. And you'd, you'd be able to find out some things. Now, I don't know what you all are doing for, for entertainment. But sometimes, you know, my wife and I, we sit down, we, we uh, record things in the DVR, and we, we like to, to watch them. And uh, for some reason, one station put on one of my all-time favorite shows. I mean, this is up there at the top. This might even rank over Star Trek. <laughs> this is how good this show is. And I saw that it came on, and so I immediately set up our DVR to record every single one. And they're going through the entire, se- all the seasons of this thing they're going through. So we're just recording them for free, just putting them on there. And then when we're ready, we go in there and we watch them. And uh, you, you may not have guessed what this one is yet. But uh, the show is Jag. How many ever watched Jag? I, I love Jag. Oh, it's just, I mean, it has everything in it. It's got the, the law stuff going on because he's a lawyer. He's an aviator. Uh, he does crazy things out there. And uh, it's just, it's just a fun show. We just really, well, we just, just got done watching this week. They brought on this part where they, they spun off NCIS. I mean, like NCIS. It's a spinoff of Jag. It came right out of that. They put the first two episodes on Jag, and then they spun it off. So it was probably one of the most successful things they ever spun off of Jag, but that's where it came from. 
and not all the other shows came out of uh, came out of that one. But they had Gibbs come on in. He was invest- investigating the main character on Jag for this thing, but he also was being called into another. There's, there's a purpose for this. <laughs> he was being called in for another operation, and there's another operation is they had a terrorist, and they were trying to get information out of this terrorist to find out what he knew. And they were torturing him. They were doing all this sort of stuff. And he just wouldn't break. He wouldn't tell them. But they needed to know. They had to get this information out because lives were going to be lost if they didn't find out what they were up to and what they were going to try and hit. They were actually trying to hit another Navy vessel. They had just hit one. They were trying to hit another Navy vessel. And so uh, the, uh, the the Secretary of the Navy, he was out there. He's saying, look, I need you to solve this case, but I also need you to get over here and do this. So he's trying to do both things. At the same time, and so finally he puts the investigation in someone else's hands and he goes on over to interrogate this prisoner who will not give up the information. How many ever saw this episode? Nobody ever saw, oh, such a great episode. <laughs> I so, so enjoyed watching it again. So they, he gets on out there, he gets out to the ship and they have the FBI guys who were basically, they, you know, they were useless. And they were saying, you know, well, you're, whatever you get out of him, because they expected him to go in there. He's going to force the information out. He's going to beat him up or something like that and get the information out. And he says, what do you even get out of him won't be admissible in law? He says, I'm not here to admit anything, admit, or admit anything in the court. That's not what he wanted the information for. And so they go on in there and he sits on down. And as you jump into the picture, there's Gibbs and there's the terrorist. And they're enjoying a nice meal together. And he's got some wine with the meal. And they're talking about food. And then they start talking about different restaurants. And then they, he went over to, uh, to one place. He said, have you ever eaten at uh, this restaurant? Oh, yes, I've eaten at that one. He began to tell some things in the menu. And uh, just having this discourse back and forth. And then all of a sudden, this restaurant is brought up. He said, if you ever want to have the best, whatever it was, uh, go to this place. He says, oh, no, that can't be right. He says, I was there six months ago, and this was squishy, and this was soggy, and this wasn't any good at all. And he said, that can't be. He said, two weeks ago, I was just there, and the, this was this way, and this was this way. And, and all of a sudden, you saw everybody back at headquarters, because you had a camera in there. Everybody back at headquarters said, did you get that? Go to work. And so that was it. And then Gibbs gets up from the meal after a little bit more discussion, and then leaves. There's no... no uh, Fancy stuff. There was no nastiness that went on. All he needed to find out was, where were you a couple of weeks ago? Where'd you come from? And by talking about the restaurants, they got him to talk about where he was at. They found out where he was. They were able to uncover the entire plot and stop it before it happened. Now, see, all you have to do sometimes to investigate is just get somebody talking. If you can get them talking, you can get them to tell you some things. If you want to find out is a minister really true get them talking about stuff find out what their heart is about find out what kind of true things are going on in their life find out where their passion is when you find that out you'll find out how genuine they are and he said this is what you did when people came in through the city because if they could get approved there at Ephesus they could be launched out whatever new doctrine they got they could be launched out into all of Asia and begin to carry this to the other churches. But you got to get through Ephesus first. And so they came on in, and they tried to, to get these people to, to buy into it, and they, they wouldn't buy into it. No, no, we got we to check you out. And so they would investigate. 
He said, you have tested those who say they are apostles. You've tested them. You've gone out there. Have you ever watched on TV or maybe you gotten a, a DVD or a video of a service and a particular church was having a guest minister in or a guest minister came into the church? And what happens is if the guest minister comes into the church, the pastor will usually get up and doesn't he say some things about the guest minister? Doesn't he say some things about maybe where they went, uh, how, how far back they went, some of the things that he knows about them? Uh, if the guest minister comes into the church, how many times does the guest minister talk about the pastor and say some things about the pastor? If uh, For those of you who listen to Keith Moore's church, uh, Brother Marty. How many of you remember Brother Marty? Brother Marty. Brother Marty was just there a few, uh, some weeks ago. And he came on and he began to testify some things about Brother Keith and to, and to speak some things. That's just not blowing smoke. That's just not having a, a you know, just a, a, a little free pre-service um, time, just talking about stuff. What that is doing is each time that a minister does that, they are putting their stamp of approval on that person. They say, I have tested them, I have tried them, and they come up as a true minister. When Jesse Duplantis goes out and visits the church and he talks about the pastor and he says, oh, I love your pastors. Oh, I love the minister. I love the things that they're doing here. And he begins to talk about, what's he doing? He's saying, I have tested them and they're genuine. That's what's going on. When you hear about that, just understand this is somebody who's, who's testifying. Now, if you ever get an opportunity to testify about somebody in that way, make sure you're genuine. Don't ever get up there and say, well, I'll just say some stuff to make it, make it sound good. Don't ever do that. You need to test it out. You need to make it genuine. We do that in, when we're here. If we're bringing in somebody that I don't know, I go and I find things where they've ministered. And I watch them. I see how, they, how they've ministered, whether that would benefit us here. I talk to people that have had them out to see if they would benefit us here. We don't just uh, bring people in. There's a whole lot of investigation that you folks will never even see. But we check them out before they come on in here. And a lot of times uh, they're people that I have a history with or at least I know some things in ministry. But even people that we've had out out. And if you were here for a long enough time, you would have known, you know, uh, Sister Angel who comes out and ministers every, every now and then. Well, Sister Angel was married to somebody and we all knew who her husband was. And then she came into a place where she was divorced. And she got divorced from her husband. And so before I brought her out to church here again, and I was, I was 95% convinced what had occurred. But that's not good enough. And so what I did was I talked to Sister Angel. I said, Sister Angel, I need to talk to your pastor. I didn't tell her why I need to talk to her pastor. I said, I need to talk to your pastor. Can you give me a number to reach him? And she said, well, sure. So she gave me a number. And then she apparently gave her pastor the heads up. And she said, uh, apparently, Pastor Steve needs to give you a call. He's going to be calling. What's he calling me about? I don't know. Maybe he has a ministry question. I don't know. He didn't tell me. This, he used to tell me this story afterwards. He didn't tell me what he was calling you about. He just said he needs to call. And so I got the, got the number and got hold of him, called him up and said, Pastor so-and-so, this is Pastor Steve. I just have a question for you about Angel. I understand that she went through a divorce and that you were counseling her and her husband throughout the whole process. He said, well, yes, but I'm not comfortable sharing any of that information with you. I said, I wouldn't expect you to, and I'm not asking you to. I don't need to know a single thing that went on between you and them or anything that was said. This is all I need to know from you. Can you, as a minister of God, recommend Sister Angel to continue on in ministry from the way that she conducted herself in all this? He said, oh, 
Well, yeah, I can do that. That's all I needed. Thank you very much for your time. And I hung up the phone. But you see, you've got to check those things out. You've got to do those investigations. And so I told her about it afterwards. This is what I was calling him about. I expected that he would have said that. But I still have to check it out. She says, well, I guess you do. <laughs> and, and we've had her back a number of times since then. And uh, without any problem at all. But understand, you have, to, you have to do some investigating. Just because somebody says that they're a certain type of minister or that they're a minister of God doesn't mean that they are. We've had some people that we've, we've had out one time and sometimes we've, uh, we've taken them out to dinner afterwards and we didn't like what we saw and we didn't bring them back. So you can have a good ministry, but if you disqualify yourself in the way that you handle other people, then that won't, uh, that won't go so well. So you check this out. This is what they had, what they had done. They checked these things out. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. Now this is a problem. If you're going to get up in, in the church and say, I am an apostle. And God hasn't called you to be an apostle. You have just come under the judgment of an apostle without the anointing. Without the protection of that office. That's not a good place to be. If you stand up and say, I'm a pastor, but God has not called you to be a pastor, God has not anointed you to be a pastor, then you are going to to put yourself in a place to receive the judgment, which is a stricter judgment, on those that are, that are in the fivefold ministry, they receive a stricter judgment. But when you have the anointing and the gift and calling, there's a grace that comes along with it. But if you're going to try and jump into that... that uh, that place where that judgment can come down on you without the gift, calling, and anointing, it's going to be a problem. And you did it yourself because you kept staying out there. I'm pastor so-and-so. I'm apostle so-and-so. I'm prophet so-and-so. Don't be messing with that. He says, they say that they're apostles, but they're not. They're not. You have tested them who say they are apostles and are not and have found them to be liars. Now this word here, you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and found them to be liars. That word they're found means to find, discover, or ascertain after a search. This particular word is used 177 times in the New Testament. 100. And 77 times. I am not going to take you through all 177 times. But I will give you one other reference to help you get an idea because this is one that will, will work well for you. In Matthew 2, 8, And he sent them to Bethlehem, speaking about the king to the wise men, and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, there's our word, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When you have found. This is to find when you have found the child after making a diligent search. This is what this word means. This is how it is used in this particular place. Let's read it again. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. It doesn't say that a prophetic word came to them. It said they did their investigation they did their study, they checked them out, and they found you are a liar. 
And it would seem that they made a declaration that these people were not genuine and that they were false. And they wouldn't stand for it. Now, how many think we got a pretty good church going on here? I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil and have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them to be liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Then we get to verse 4. Now, a couple of questions I threw out there for you. Well, at least one question. Why did so many false apostles come to Ephesus? This is probably a launching point. If you can get into Ephesus and you can get past the test there, you can get into just about anywhere. They'll, they'll use that. Oh, well, you were at Ephesus? Well, they said you're okay. And you get a, you get a free, uh, free pass into any place else. They, why such diligence? Why did this church have such diligence to guard against these things? Because this church was guarding the purity of the gospel. They were passionate to keep the purity of the gospel going. All this is important to know to understand the rest of these verses. This is who this church is. This is where they're coming from. This is what they saw as important. And this is how God viewed what they were doing. The word there for liars means untrue, erroneous, deceitful, wicked, false. You have so, you have discovered that this is what they are. Verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Now that word there is poorly translated first love. It is not truly first love. It is early love. It is earlier than where they are now. That word, we've actually covered this word a couple of times in, uh, I believe in Wednesday nights, but it means first, foremost in time, place, order, or importance. It means something that is before. It may be something that is at the beginning, but it is at least before the time of now. So what God is saying is, you need to go back to where you were before. You need to go back to the things that you saw earlier, that love that you had, those things that you saw important earlier. And the context would seem to, to, to mean when they first got saved. Go back and see those things because what he's saying here is, nevertheless I have this against you, that you have left your earlier love. The word there left means to leave or dismiss a very slow departure. It usually, this is not in your outline, you can write this down to whatever degree you want to. It usually refers to a willful abandonment, a deliberate, a deliberate giving up, but also includes the results of long neglect. It usually refers to a willful abandonment, a deliberate giving up, but also includes the results of long neglect. They have been diligent at going after all of these particular things, but apparently they neglected some stuff. They neglected some of the things that came in early on and left them for some of these things that came later. And he says, you shouldn't have left those things. These other things you've picked up, these are great. But you shouldn't have left those other things. 
Nevertheless, I have this against you. It's, and it's pretty strongly worded. I have this against you, that you left your first love. Of all those things that they have going for them, he says, all right, that's, that's all great, but I've got this against you. Verse 5, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. As busy as a church as this was, as hardworking as a church as this was, all the things they did to keep the purity of the gospel up, the things they did to check out the people that were coming on through trying to say that they're apostles, and they would check them out. They found out they were not what they said they were. He says, remember from where you have fallen. Their current state doing all these particular things is a fallen state. Remember from where you have fallen. You used to be here. And though you have progressed in all the things that you are doing for God and all the things that you're able to accomplish, you've left this. You left some of those things that you had, the passion you had in the beginning. You've let it go away. Remember from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Sometimes this can come out when we first got born again. We loved having times of prayer. We loved having times of studying the Word. But as we got busier and busier in ministry and doing things for God, maybe the study of the Word kind of was falling apart, falling down the wayside. Maybe some of the things of just spending fellowship time with God. That's, well, I just don't have time to do that right now. I need to accomplish this and I need to do this and I need to, to get this going. And we, we set out to do those particular things and, and we forget. We neglect some of the things that we had going on before. Don't ever neglect it. Always stay with it. That's why we started here many, many months ago. Hopefully all of you are still continuing it. But you remember our first eyes program, program our first eyes goal where the first thing that you set eyes on in the Word of God to read, or in the to, to read it all, is the Word of God. Don't be opening up your phone and checking out Facebook or checking out text messages. Checking out what's going on in the news. First thing you do when you open up in the morning, read your chapter. Read the Word of God somewhere. Somehow just get, get into the Word of God and read the Word of God. I hope that still comes up first thing in your, in your mind when you get up. What's my first eye is going to be? What am I first going to see? Don't ever let your first eyes go to Facebook. Don't ever let that become a priority. Uh, they can get some, some fun things off of that and some nice interaction, but the priority has to be the Word of God. Don't neglect the first things. Don't ever get to a place, well, I already know this. I've already, I've already studied this. Don't, don't ever do that. I make sure I discipline myself all the time. As much as I, I may know the Word, as much as I have studied the Word, no matter how many decades I have been at it, no matter how many times I've read it cover to cover, I still, just like you, I pick up my, my Bible, pick up my phone, whatever it is I'm reading it from, and I read, what is our chapter today? I'm reading right along with you. I read the, make sure I spend some time reading. I make sure I spend some time studying. I make sure I spend some time meditating on the Word of God, just mulling over the Word of God. I make sure I spend time fellowshipping with God and talking with Him about things, letting Him talk with me about things and pointing out some, uh, some stuff we maybe need to do, change, whatever it is we have to do. I make sure I spend that time there because if I forsake those things, I'm leaving the, the first, the early things. 
Don't ever leave them. Stay with them. Add some other things to it. That's fine. But don't leave the early things. These are the things that got you started. They're the things that are going to keep you going. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. That word there for repent is our usual word for repent, to think differently or afterwards to reconsider. To think differently. To, to have a change. Not, not, a, not feel sorry. Not feel bad about it. But no, I'm going to think differently. I'm not going to think about that situation in this way anymore. I'm not going to think that this is okay to do. The Word of God says that I shouldn't do it. I'm going to repent in that I am going to think differently. The reason that we engage in sin is because my thinking is, I know God has said not to do this, but I don't think it will hurt me now. I've got to change my thinking on that. If God said it will hurt me, it will hurt me. I've got to stay away from it. Repentance is a decision. It's not a feeling. I decide to do something. doesn't matter how you feel about it. You're still, if you make a decision to repent, that's what it is. The devil sometimes comes up to you and says, yeah, but you still want to do it. You're not, you haven't repented. That is false. That is a lie. Do not listen to him. If you, repentance is a decision, not a feeling. It's important to know that. Because the devil keeps coming back and says, but you don't feel different. You don't feel like you want to leave that. You feel like you still want to go after it. But I made a decision not to. And so I'm not going to. That's repentance. Repentance is a decision. It is not a feeling. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So despite all these good things we got going on, God says, I'll take you out. Fix this or I'm going to take you out. But this you have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now we've talked about them and so many other prophecies that we saw. This is the group that says, we need to get along with the world. We need to understand where the world is coming from. If you don't sin, you can't understand sin. So be, being a participant in sin is okay. Otherwise, you can't minister to the people that are sin. You've got to make sinners feel comfortable around you. How many churches do we have anymore that want to make sinners comfortable? We're not here to make sinners comfortable. We're here to invite the presence of God. When sinners get before the presence of God, the presence of God can change them. But we're not... Not here to do that. But this is what the Nicolaitans did. And not only did they expose false apostles, but when the Nicolaitans came in and tried to bring this doctrine, said, we are not compromising. We are not changing what we're doing. We're staying with what God said. If God said stay out of that, we're staying out of it. We're not getting involved in the idol worship that other people are getting involved with. Just to get to know them. Just so we can invite them out to church. We're not going to do it. But this you have that you hate. The deeds of Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He says he hates it. God says, I hate it. And you have picked up that hate that I have. And you hate it just as much. We've got to make sure that we don't compromise with the world. Stay away from what the world thinks. I've mentioned to you a number of times. But if I sound like the news media... If I'm making statements like the news media, folks, I have lost my distinction. That is the most ungodly group of people that are out there. 
And I will not sound like them. I will not say the things that they say. I know that they're out there right now. And there's a lot, I've seen a number of churches go along with this. Because the news media wants to say the election is over. The news media does not crown the next president. You have to certify by the state that a state certifies this election is done. And these states have not certified. I don't care Fox, NBC, or whoever it is. They can certify whatever they want. They are not in the Constitution to certify our president. And if you want to see how hypocritical this news media is, how many of y'all remember what they did with General Flynn? And how much they did to the Trump organization because they were calling foreign dignitaries. And yet they are publicizing how much non-president-elect Joe Biden is calling these same dignitaries. Now, why is it okay for him as not even the president-elect to do that, but it's not okay for the others? And we had all those years of investigations. That is not right. I'm not pointing the fingers at Democrat Party or Republican Party. I'm pointing the fingers at the media. This is the media that is trying to say, this one's okay, this one's not. Go back to the law and what the law says. There is no way that you can convince me that when 20, 30, 40, 50,000 people would show up two, three, four times a day at different rallies for one guy and they can't get more than 10, 20, 30, maybe 100 out to see another one once or twice a week. There's absolutely no way you can tell me that's a close election. There's absolutely no way you can tell me that. You cannot get all those people to show up with one and then they want to point the fingers and say that the election was a fraud. Now, I've, I've not hidden. I don't get up here and publicize who you ought to vote to. or all that. But I've not kept it hidden. You all know who I voted for. Whether you voted for him or not, I, I, that's not me for the poll. That's up to you. But you all know who I voted for. I'm not embarrassed by it at all. You voted for somebody different? That's up to you. It's between you and God. But I told you, I've given you the truth on this stuff, and then you have to go and decide what, you, what you're going to do from there. But understand, there is a lot more to it. God is on one of these sides. Don't kid yourself to thinking that God might be on both sides. He is not. Now, you may not agree that God's on the side that I say he's on. But I know this, God is on one side and he is not on the other. And if you jump on board on the side against God, you do not have me to contend with. It is my job as your pastor to make sure that I tell you what's going on. You see, who were these letters written to? The pastor of the church. What was the pastor supposed to do with it? Tell his people and mourn his people about it. Folks, if you don't think that that's what I spend my time doing during the week to find out, God, what am I supposed to tell them about what's going on? If you think I just get up here and give you my own opinion, I can give you lots of opinions because I have far more opinions than I ever tell you. But I have to screen out. What is my opinion? What is God saying? This is what you need to share. And from there, you have the right 
as an individual to decide I'm wrong or I'm right. But as a Christian, you don't. As a Christian, you better be on God's side. Because the, the stakes are big. It has been flooded. The last election was flooded with fraud. This one was flooded with even more. Because of the way the last one went, it didn't have to be investigated. The way this one went, it went it's going to be investigated. And there will still be Christians who will stand up and come against the investigation that this fraud ought to be allowed to, this fraud should not be allowed to stand. I'll settle with any election that goes against what I think as long as it's genuine. But it's got to be genuine. Get tired of dead people voting and computers switching votes and all this stuff is going on. So I pray continually let the fraud be exposed. Well, it's on both sides. Some people will say, fine, if it's on both sides, expose it. I am all for whatever fraud is going on to be exposed. Bring it out. I don't care who it's for. Bring it out. If it's a fraudulent vote, get it out. People are going around saying every vote should be counted. That is false. That is a lie. Just because a vote was cast doesn't mean it ought to be counted. If it's cast by dead people, you don't count them. If it's cast by people who don't exist, you don't count it. I hope you're praying along with that too. Even if you're hoping for some for a victory apart from what I'm hoping for. You ought to be praying. God expose whatever is false. Because our God does not like darkness. He does not like what is false. So I pray for him to bring that out. I pray for strength for those that are investigating. Because they're going to be going through an awful lot of toil as they try and bring this out. And way more than I can get into here, I know some of the forces that they come against. And these are not physical. These are not people. There's another, a lot of other forces that are going on. And if you, we've spent time in the Word before and looked at them. not going to spend it again here. But they hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Just because the Spirit of God speaks something to the churches does not mean the church will hear it. Understand this. These are seven words he has given to seven churches that are given by the head of the church, Jesus Christ. And there are people in that church who will not receive it. Just because there are Christians who receive it and Christians who don't does not mean that that one was right. Well, I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian for 20 years and I'm not receiving that. That doesn't mean that it was right. Just go back to the Word of God. As we have gone through all these different things, I don't just give you opinions and say, I think this is wrong. I take you through the Word of God. How many times have I taken you through the Word of God and shown you examples? This is the spirit of Antichrist. This is how he worked in the Old Testament. This is how he worked in the New Testament. This is how he works in the book of Revelation in the future. It's the same spirit. And I've showed you how it works. I've showed you the signs. You should be able to see it. It's, it's evident. It's clear. But anyway, let's get back over here. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give him, I will give to eat from the tree of life. If you do not hear what the Spirit says to the churches, what are the odds that you're going to overcome? 
He is giving them what they need to overcome. He's saying, this you're doing right, this you're doing right, this you're doing right, now this you're doing wrong. And that is so wrong that if you don't fix it, I'm going to remove you. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If they don't hear what the Spirit is saying, what is the likelihood that they will endure to the end? See, correction comes from God. It's not generally liked. But it is always helpful. When you go into your doctor and your doctor says, no more bacon. How many of that would cause you pain? How many could feel that pain right now? No more bacon? What do you mean no more bacon? Oh, because we like bacon. He says, no more bacon. That could cause pain. But it could be helpful for you. Bacon's probably not the best thing to be eating all the time. I don't know, I just suppose maybe it's not. <laughs> but if that's what your doctor said, if you went to him for, for help, and that's what he said, maybe you ought to listen. Listen to your spirit, though, mostly. Always listen to your spirit. Just because the doctor comes out and says something doesn't mean that you ought to, that you ought to buy into that. that the doctors can be wrong. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So apparently the tree of life is still around. And we can get some. If you overcome. If you're going to overcome, you've got to take what the Spirit says. And you've got to listen. And you've got to make correction. Now, prophecy may contain instruction. But understand, this is not for the novice. Remember he says that he, Paul desires that all of you become teachers? But what, what's the exception he makes? An elder, teacher, shouldn't be a novice. When you start moving into prophecy, prophecy can contain instruction. But it doesn't mean that you ought to. You need to walk in that for a little bit. Now I gave you some things here. This prophecy in this, in this uh, chapter that we're just read here, these seven verses, this prophecy gave some instruction. And I gave, I'm going to read them off here for you. The first thing this prophecy instructed us about is what was important to God. Prophecy, when it comes to you, may indicate to you what God is seeing in your life as important. How many of you can can sit down with a piece of paper and write down more than 20 things that are in your life. I bet you can. I got the kids, I got the house, I got my job. You can just start naming stuff, right? You can probably put more than 20 things on there. What would, what would you think if God came down and saw your list and he says, this is important, this is important, this is important, and he, he isolated your 20, 40 things you got to four? What would that tell you? Now, that may not mean that you don't do any of the other things, but it may mean these are the ones, these are the ones that have my attention. So those are the ones I should focus on, right? Those are the ones that I should go after the most. Guess which one the enemy is going to try and pull you away from? Those things that God says are important. Yep. He's going to try and get you away from those. 
So in this prophecy, God has basically told him, I think this is important, this is important, this is important, this is important. I see these things you're doing. They are important enough that I have mentioned to them, that I have seen them, I've observed them, I see what you're doing. But there's also something else that I see as important and you've, you've omitted it. You haven't gone after it. But isn't it helpful to have God do that for us? Sometimes a prophecy can come and it can just help for us to understand that something that maybe we're not seeing as important, God is saying that's important. Don't lose sight of that. Second one, what was needed in the church? He told him what was needed in the church. He'll also tell you what's needed in your life. But he said this is important and this is what's needed. God will tell you what's needed. Now, I'll tell you what. Most times, you go up to people and you tell them, this is what you need to do. And you know what you almost always hear? Excuses. Well, I, I, I can see that would be important, but I just can't, I can't do that. I can't get that done. I can't get to that. Yeah, I think that's important, but you know, we come away with, with reasons why it's not. This is what's needed. What he's telling them is, here is what's needed. You need to focus on these things because if not, I am removing you guys. We're taking you out. This is what's needed. There are times that in the, in the course of, of teaching, pastors, including myself, we will teach things that God has said, this is what is needed. And I'll tell you what, most times, I don't come up, I've told you, I don't come up here and tell you, this is the word of the Lord. I don't come out here and tell you, thus says the Lord. Most of the times that I get something from God, I say it to you, and I never identify it. I do it purposely. Because him has ears to hear, you'll hear it. And you'll, you'll bring it in. I love it when I get out back and sometimes people go, oh, when you said that, that ministered to me. And I thought, mm-hmm. <laughs> See, what didn't come from me. I received it. I just received it. I just passed it on. But certain people will hear it and other people won't. And it's a decision that you have to do. For him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Sometimes we're just not ready to hear that. Sometimes we're just not ready to hear that God's in this or God's not in this. I'm just not ready to hear that. Some of the things I told you today, some people are going to, you know, whether watching online or whatever, they're going to be saying, I'm not ready to hear that. They'll say that by saying, that's not right. That's not right. Now, I tell you, every once in a while, I don't like, I don't like Paul in this thing. I don't like to brag about stuff. I really, it bugs me. I hate it. But sometimes the only way you can get your point across is to do like Paul said. And to say, hey, wasn't I right over here? <laughs> and he said that. And so every once in a while I'll come out and I'll tell you stuff. When this virus broke out, I had a whole lot of people telling me I was doing it wrong. <laughs> he didn't like me standing there. A lot of people telling me I was doing it wrong. A whole lot of people telling me I was doing it what has come about now? Was I wrong? 
It was not wrong. When I told you the word that God gave me about my hip, was I wrong? I was not wrong. Went against every single doctor. And just to, to let you know, last week I gave it a pounding that few people have ever done. Most people in in uh, in my neck of the woods that are that are out there running, a handful ran more. Only a handful. I am blowing most most uh, most lists that I'm on where they show you how much you run in a week and who you're beating, I am at the top of almost every single list for mileage. In fact, folks, the end of this week, I will have accomplished a, a feat I haven't been able to do since 2017 that I used to do every year, and that is run the year. I will pass 2,020 miles on Friday, and I've got a month and a half to keep going. Now, that's for somebody who said you'll never run again. Did I hear from God on that? I only say these things to let you know this. I know how to hear from God. I know how to hear things that are not popular. I know how to, he's told me things. And I, I tell you what, when he told me the stuff about the virus, I didn't like it. I felt a little uneasy. I had to go out there and I think one time I had a conversation with God, this is not you in the line. <laughs> no, actually it was, but <laughs> you know, you say some stupid things every once in a while. I can be guilty of saying some stupid things. And people came up and reminded me. If they trace anything back to you having church, you know what they're going to do. But I have to do what God said. And so we continue to do that. If you have confidence that you heard from God in some of these matters we discussed here today, that's fine. I'm not going to treat you different, think differently of you, kick you out, nothing like that. Just have that confidence. I have that confidence. I stand before God. And I know I'm on the right side. I know it. But anyway, here's the things. Prophecy may contain instruction. Saw the first one, what was important to God. Second one, what was needed in, in the church. Third, what exposed the enemy. Prophecy may teach you things to expose the enemy in your life. Here's the fourth one. How much God despises compromise. There's four things he taught in this one prophecy. What was important to God, what was needed in the church, what exposed the enemy, and how much God despises compromise. Now, what's the difference between being instructed on what we should do and being led by prophecy? What is the difference there? How is it different than if that prophecy comes and I do what is said there? How is that different from being led by a prophecy or instructed by God? Because I am not to be led by prophecy. How many times have you heard me say that? How many times have you heard Brother Hagin say that? Other people say that. Don't be led by prophecy. Be led by your spirit. You see, the direction that we take should be decisions based on instruction we have received from God. Whatever decision I make in life, it should be born of instruction I've received from God. If I'm going to make a decision to take this job, not take this job. 
Buy this car, not buy this car. Buy this house, not buy this house. Pursue this relationship, not pursue this relationship. And if I'm going to do it, it's going to be based on what I've learned from the Word of God. Prophecy will come along and help me in that instruction. It can. It doesn't always, but it can. But prophecy that instructs is giving us things that we need to make those decisions. It's giving us greater understanding that we need to make that decision. Now, the giver of the prophecy should never demand, nor should the receiver ever yield, untested instruction from prophecy. Whenever you get instruction, when you see instruction from prophecy, take it to the Word. Take it to the Word. Find out what the Word says. Once you take it to the Word, you compare it, it's a piece of cake. Because the Word of God doesn't change. If I've received a prophecy, and that prophecy was not some instruction, I can take that instruction, take it to the Word. Oh, yeah, I see this. I see what's going on here. And now I can make that decision better. But that's something that prophecy can do. Now, if you're going to ever operate in the area of prophecy for instruction, make sure that you're not a novice at this, that you're not going to taint that prophecy with things you think are in the Word of God. That's why it's not for the novice. If you're going to operate in the simple gift of prophecy, stay with edification, exhortation, and comfort. But every once in a while, you're going to find that God has taught you things in the Word. And even in that prophecy that you were given to that person, it can be, it can be brought up in there. Now by prophecy, we don't mean going out there and, and all of a sudden getting your eyes glassied over, head tilted back, getting kind of lost in a trance. Hold on, I, I, I think I'm getting something. That's not prophecy. See, prophecy more than often will come to you early. You'll have it beforehand. And then you're just looking for the opportunity. And then when you speak it to them, you can speak it exactly as Jesus does to the pastors here. There's nothing spooky about it. He's just telling it to them. But all seven of these letters, all seven of these words to the churches are prophetic utterances from the head of the church. And we can learn from them. I don't know that we're going to go after any more. Like I said, I thought we were just going to go after two. I'm going after four. But understand, prophecy has a role in your life. A role in which you should give and a role in which you should receive. Look for opportunities. Still waiting for those praise reports. I want to see some more praise reports talking about how you're operating in that area of prophecy. Well, mine's just so simple. It's just so, no, don't you bypass it. When you start off in the gift of prophecy, it's going to be simple. It's going to be basic. That's okay. I don't care if you got up in the morning and prophesied over your son or your daughter. Yeah, well, that's not really anybody I don't know. Are they unimportant? They are not unimportant. And what better place to learn how God will use you in this than right there in the house?
Look for those opportunities. Let God speak to you. And one of the other ways that you'll see this happen is when people ask you questions about what's going on in this world, something in the Bible, and as you begin to open your mouth, utterance will be given to you. One of the best examples of that is in the book of Acts. If you go over to the book of Acts, you will find that Peter is summoned to come to some men at Joppa. And he, uh, he gets that summon, and of course that's where he had the vision. And God says, some men are coming, go with them. And so he goes with them. That's all God told him. And he gets there, and he's asked, ready for them to ask him a question. And they said, we are ready to hear what God has told you. And God didn't tell them anything. He's expecting them to ask him something. And they're expecting him to tell them something. That's a bad spot to be in, isn't it? And it says, and Peter opened his mouth. And he began to speak. That's a prophetic utterance right there. He basically just prophesied to them. He gave what God had given him there. He gave what he knew. He gave what he learned. And he gave what God revealed to him. And they were blessed and people got born again. Things happened. And things will happen when you obey as well. But look for those opportunities. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, I thank you that the word of prophecy is in us because the Spirit is in us. As we yield to the Spirit of God, we yield to that Spirit of prophecy and He is desiring to work through us. But we do have to look for it. We do have to be ready and just as Peter had to be willing for that Spirit to rise up in him and speak we need to be willing. We need to be looking for opportunity. There are places, there are people, there are things that need to be done. Father, I thank you for the places that you send us. I thank you for the people that you send us to. And we commit our lives to being instruments of your spirit to speak those words that you give us to speak, to open up our mouth and let our mouth be filled, to know that you will do that. That as Paul taught us, that he desired that each one of us would prophesy. We need to be looking for more opportunities, more places for this to work. This is one of the ways that you equip the body that you strengthen us and get us ready. I thank you for it. How much of your love this shows us that you are willing to use vessels that have sinned, vessels that have been guilty of things we shouldn't have done, that you're willing to use us. I thank you for it, Father. It's not a soul here who's disqualified from walking into things that God has qualified them for. I give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah.
We really do want to see some praise reports from you. Look for opportunities to give those, those words. You don't have to start off, thus saith the Lord. Just up on the inside, you'll come a verse to share. An encouraging word. You may just go up to somebody and say, because the Spirit of God is leading you to, to do so. Do you know, when you smile, I just see Jesus in you. And it encourages me so much. Thank you. Did you encourage? Yeah, when you do it by the unction of the Holy Spirit, it's what's called prophecy. Don't pull back from it. Don't ever put it down. This is important. 